Our Old Testament passage is from Isaiah, chapter 42. This is the text quoted by Matthew in the New Testament passage. We'll be reading a little further than what Matthew quotes for context, but we're reading Isaiah, chapter 42, verses 1 through 9. You may recall that the call to worship came from the next verse, 10 and 11. Isaiah 42, verses 1 through 9. Hear the word of the Lord. Behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Thus says God, the Lord, who created the heavens and stretched them out, who spread out the earth and what comes from it, who gives breath to the people on it and spirit to those who walk in it. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people, a light for the nations, to open the eyes that are blind, to bring out the prisoners from the dungeon, from the prison those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name, my glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare before they spring forth, I tell you of them. And now we turn to Matthew chapter 12. For the sake of context, I'm going to begin our reading in Matthew 12. I'll be reading from verse 11. Our sermon text begins in verse 15. But just for context, starting with verse 11. He said to them, which one of you has a sheep? If it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not he take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out and it was restored healthy like the other. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there and many followed him and he healed them all and ordered them not to make him known. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. Behold my servant whom I have chosen, my beloved with whom my soul is well pleased. I will put my spirit upon him and he will proclaim justice to the Gentiles. He will not quarrel or cry aloud, nor will anyone hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not quench, until he brings justice to victory, and in his name the Gentiles will hope. Since the reading of God's holy word, the grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of God abides forever, now and forevermore. Let us turn to the Lord and ask his blessing. O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer, that your word may prosper here 
and not go back to you void, but accomplish its good purpose. Bless us, O Lord, through your Spirit, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. This is a passage, Matthew 12, 15 through 21, that I was tempted to tack on to the end of last week's passage or tack on to the beginning of next week's passage or the next time I preach in Matthew. You're going to have some guest preachers for a bit. Um, but when I looked at it, I thought, we really, it's not a passage to tack on anywhere. It's a passage to look at and to uh, grow with. This is a really important passage in Matthew. What you should see, if you want to see and kind of see the clarity of this, uh, you could just read that first section of Matthew 12, 9 through 14, and then jump over this passage to verse 22 and read on from there. It actually flows pretty well. Um, but Matthew puts this here in the middle on purpose. It, it has a very important purpose, um, and some questions arise as well. It, part of its purpose is something Matthew does periodically in his gospel, is he pauses in this flow of description of what Jesus is doing to summarize it. So this is a summary of uh, what Jesus is doing, it gives you an opportunity to kind of stop and see what Jesus is up to. Uh, but then he has this long quote of Isaiah. And frankly, when you first look at this long quote, you're not sure why he gives you the quote. How does that relate to what he had just said about Jesus healing people and ordering them not to say anything? And then he says, this was to fulfill what Isaiah said. And you're looking at Isaiah and saying, how does that fulfill a just, you know, what's going on here? How do these things connect? Well, so we're going to have to address that, and we will. Also, we have the issue that, you know, we have to deal with. Um, there are some differences between how Matthew quotes Isaiah and the text of Isaiah that we read. There's some differences here. Uh, and we don't ignore those differences, but we need to explain them. So we have to come back to that as well. But I think this passage is really important for us in the Gospel. The Gospel of Matthew, this is a, this is a really important text to kind of reorient, to know what's going on with the ministry of Christ. And if you want to see a summary of the ministry of Christ, you, Christ, you go to Matthew chapter 5, verse 17. Now, this actually appears several times in Matthew, where he tells you why he came. I did not come to do this, but I came for this reason. He says that at least three or four times. But Matthew 5, 17 is one of those places. And it says this, Do not imagine that I came to a destroy the law or the gospel, I did not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And it goes on with pretty important statements, but focusing just on that, he did not come to destroy the law or the gospels. And it's not law and the gospels as if it's one thing, either part of the revelation of God. Neither, none of the revelation of God 
is going to be destroyed by Jesus, but fulfilled uh, by him. And that's part of what's going on in our passage, uh, as we'll see in a moment. But when it says the law, he came to fulfill the law. Well, this actually occurs several times in what we've already looked at in Matthew. For example, Matthew 12, verses 6 to 7. Uh, we read this, I tell you something greater than the temple is here, which is part of the law. And if you'd known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. Condemning the guiltless is a violation of God's law. And Jesus is not doing that. And instead, he is fulfilling the mercy of God uh, and... Uh, the sacrifice is the sacrifice of God. So it's a quote of Hosea, a prophet, but it really is embodying Christ's fulfilling the law. He didn't come to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. Well, you see it in that passage in Matthew 12, 6 through 7. Uh, and indeed, he is the temple. <laughs> Something greater than the temple is here. I mean, that's just crazy. Something greater than the temple is here. Well, there's nothing greater than the temple up to that point in human history. It's the place where you can meet with God and know he will meet with you. Something greater came in Christ Jesus to fulfill the law and the prophets. Uh, this is why Matthew says, verse 17 in our text, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. You can see how, obviously, this is Jesus fulfilling the prophets. He didn't come to destroy Isaiah and that prophecy, but to fulfill it. So Matthew's telling you, here's one place where it was fulfilled. Now, Matthew does this frequently, well over a dozen times in Matthew's gospel. He's known for this. He makes all this very explicit. Uh, so he's frequently saying, this was to fulfill what the prophet said. And then he'll quote a prophet. Or even, this was to fulfill the scriptures of the prophets. This is in chapter 26, if you want to see that. Um, and then sometimes he just integrates the prophecies in what's being said. For example, in the passage in Matthew 12, 7, if you'd known what this means, quote, I desire mercy and not sacrifice quoting Hosea. So that's just integrated into what's happening. And see, so Jesus is performing that mercy that God desires. Uh, it's fulfilling that prophecy in its ultimate sense. So this is just integrated. So you just have throughout Matthew all these places where the Old Testament is entering in uh, to explain what Jesus is up to. He's fulfilling the uh, prophecies from the ages that people are looking forward to. Uh, there's a time of fulfillment. Well, here it is. It's right before their eyes. Uh, three times, Matthew says, this was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Jeremiah. You get three places where that appears in Matthew. And then two other places, in addition to here, where he says this was to fulfill what the prophet Isaiah says. So three total times you get Isaiah quoted. But this is one of the longest quotes, actually, in Matthew. This is a place where he, he quotes it. 
And frankly, if he just said what we have in Matthew 12, 18, only that bit from Isaiah, it would be easier for me. But the Lord is going to challenge us here. (laughs) Because then he goes quarreling, crying loud, bruised reed, all that, justice for the nations. This is all stuff that now we have to think about. Matthew's quoting that for a reason. He's saying that's, that's being fulfilled by Christ. So we have to account for that. So that Matthew 5, 17 is kind of a key here for understanding Jesus fulfilling the law and the prophets. He's, he's the fulfillment of all this. Well, we're going to come back to that. But that's, that's the, uh, how we start approaching this issue. Now, the prophets, we tend to think of prophecies as only predicting future events. That is part of their job, uh, but they do other things as well. In the Old Testament, for example, they call upon the people of God to repent, and they bring charges against the people of God for violating their covenant allegiance to the Lord. Jeremiah 25, verses 4 through 7. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear, although the Lord persistently sent to you his servants, the prophets, saying, Turn now every one of you from his evil ways and evil deeds, and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them, or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands. Then I will do you no harm. Yet you have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Did you, did you hear that? I sent you my servants, the prophets, and they, pr- they proclaim things to you. And then the Lord says, but you didn't listen to me. When the prophets speak, God speaks. That's the conclusion you draw from this. They are the servants of God, bringing the word of God to the people of their time. And then Micah 6.2, you see that the, the prophets are often acting as uh, the prosecution. Hear you mountains, the indictment of the Lord, and you enduring foundations of the earth. For the Lord has an indictment against his people, and he will contend with Israel. This is the foundation for the repentance. If you want to see this in the New Testament, you read those messages to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, chapter 2 and 3. But furthermore, you see the prophets persistently brought to the people of God. At the end of Amos 3, verses 4 through 7, I won't read the whole passage for time's sake, but at the end of it, it says, Surely the Lord does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. He he reveals his secret counsel to his people through the prophets. That's what you're seeing when Matthew quotes Isaiah. This was God's counsel, what he would do for the people of God, and it's now unfolding before our eyes in the work of Christ. He is performing this uh, word given to the people of God in the prophets uh, to reveal God's secret counsel. Uh, This is a very important uh, passage uh, in Isaiah to show what God would do. Uh, It's God's counsel. 
he's uh, going to put his spirit upon his chosen one, his servant, and bring in a worldwide work uh, that has repercussions for you and me here, even in Corvallis and in the Willamette Valley. This is, this is what God has done in Christ Jesus. Um, so in the, in the very least, what you see from this quote from Isaiah that Matthew gives us is that Jesus is the center of scriptural revelation. He's the center of it all. He's the, he's the high point of world history. Until he comes again, this first coming is the, the, the place where there's nothing like it in the world. And when he goes away, think about how crushed we would be if he simply had gone away and left us as orphans. This is why he assures us very explicitly in the Gospel of John, that he will not leave us as orphans. He will send his spirit to dwell with us in the meantime until the second coming. He never abandons his people. I don't care that it's 2,000 years. It doesn't matter to him. He is still the same yesterday, today, and forever, and his spirit is still among us. This is his guaranteed promise, and we see the evidence of his spirit around us have more to say about that as well. Well, Christ is the center of everything. So here are these people in verse 14 conspiring to destroy the center of human history, conspiring to destroy the person who would fulfill the law and the prophets, conspiring to destroy the one that Isaiah proclaimed had the Spirit of God poured out upon him to accomplish God's will. Do you think they would succeed? Can, they, can you imagine? It's like holding your finger up to stop a whirlwind. It's not going to do anything. They can't stop what Christ is up to. That's what Matthew is telling us with this quotation. He's saying this is happening, and they could not stop it. This was a work of God that they are not going to turn aside. God would have his Holy One, his servant, whom he put his spirit upon, bring justice to the Gentiles and victory throughout the world and hope. Notice the end of this quote. And in his name, the Gentiles will hope these ones who had no hope before. Now, I want to very briefly, I know we don't, have a lot of time for this, but I want to very briefly comment on why it is that Matthew's quoting Isaiah and it looks different in, in a little bit, not fully different, but there's some differences between Isaiah in Isaiah and then how Matthew quotes him. And I want to uh, comment on that. First of all, you have to remember the technology of the day in Matthew's day. Uh, children, it's like reading a book that's written on a roll of paper towels. That's what their books looked like. They were scrolls. And so Isaiah 42 is like, what did that say again? I better find it. You get out your scroll of Isaiah and you start, look like a roll of paper towels, you start unraveling it. <laughs> 
No. 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 It's a long, 42 is a long way to the way. You know, you've got to unravel this thing. So they found a scroll of Isaiah from around, that was written around this time. Uh, it's, it's now on a, an exhibit in Israel. Uh, and it is 24 feet long, this scroll of Isaiah. 24 feet. Uh, so you got to unravel a long way, probably about 20 feet, to get to Isaiah 42, you know. So you got a long raveling. They used to just roll it like this, but still, you, you know, it's not easy. So here's the deal. Matthew's probably quoting from memory. Give him a break. He's got a very good memory, but he's not pretending to read, you know, the exact text of Isaiah. He's, he, he knows that you'll give him a break because he's quoting from memory, and his memory is very accurate. People back then had very good memories because that was the main part of their education, was to memorize stuff. We've lost that sense. I don't have to memorize it. i got a book. Uh, so it is understandable that it would be exactly the same wording of Isaiah. A second issue is it was common in Matthew's day when they're referencing a passage, and this is very well known, a very common ancient practice, when you're referencing a passage, often you're summarizing a bigger passage, not just the thing you're quoting, but you're including the thoughts of a bigger passage. That's actually what's going on here when he focuses on the Gentiles in verse 21. This is Matthew 12:21, And in his name the Gentiles will hope. That's actually in Isaiah later when he would be the light of the Gentiles. That's... That's what Matthew is referencing. Uh, this is very well known. This, this happens a lot in our New Testament quotes of the Old Testament, where they're really summarizing bigger things. Sometimes you'll hear a, a section of the psalm will be quoted, and then the other parts of the psalm are understood as operating in the context of the exact quote. It's like me saying to you a well-known psalm, the Lord is my shepherd, I will not want. And you're saying to yourself, yeah, what about this stuff? Because, you you know, your mind jumps to the rest of that Psalm 23. And I would say, green pastures, and, you know, and all that just kind of comes up, you know, in your mind. All the rest of that context is part of what I'm referencing. I just have to give you a little quote that gives you the whole business. That's what Matthew's doing here. There's actually much of that chapter in Isaiah that's operating here in what Matthew references. And this is how he's using that quote. But why does he quote Isaiah here? This is, this is the issue where you're reading this and you go, what does this Isaiah quote have to do with what Jesus is doing? Well, it's because you've got to read verse 14. The Pharisees went out, conspired against him how they might destroy him. And so... Verse 15, Jesus, aware of this, withdrew from there. Jesus knew the Pharisees were plotting to kill him, but he was not ready. Jesus knew this would take place where they would succeed in this plot, but he was not ready because 
He wasn't done yet. And no one could take his life from him before he was ready. So he withdrew from them so that he might continue to help his people. He saw his people as sheep without a shepherd who were afflicted, and he was determined to help his people with healing and with words of comfort in the midst of their affliction. And that's what's happening here. Many followed him, and he healed them all. There's no exceptions. He healed them all because he's taking care of all of his people. He has his concern for them. His ministry would be to restore the health of his people into eternity. But then you have this, verse 16. He ordered them not to make him known. (laughs) That's kind of interesting, isn't it? This is not how you create a big ministry. So when you leave here today, don't say anything about the sermon, either bad or good, you know. And frankly, you know, this is not why I'm preaching to you. I'm preaching to, because this is what God commands. But, see, this is, not, this is not someone determined to create this me-centered movement, even though he will be the center of his movement but he will do it on his own terms. He doesn't want to provoke the authorities, and he doesn't want his ministry to be known simply as a healing ministry. He would die on behalf of his people. Furthermore, if people had started racing around, interpreting Jesus and telling about all the things he was doing, there was a danger that it would become this take over the Roman government in Jerusalem, and then you'd have a big revolution. And frankly, he could have done that himself. The one who, who calmed the storm on the lake, who had the power over all the elements of creation, the power to raise the dead, to drive out demons. Don't you think he could go to Jerusalem and take over the Roman outpost there easily with a word? Yes. He had all this authority to do that if he wanted to, but that's not what he's up to. You know why? Isaiah. The Gentiles would have hope. Jesus is starting a worldwide movement on his own terms. He is the savior of the world. And if, if things got out of hand in Judea, it would not accomplish what he had purposed for the world, that the Gentiles would have hope too. All the coastlands and all those people outside in Edom and all these other places all around filled with not his people, he would have them as well as his followers. And this is what Isaiah is saying. He's not going to quarrel or cry out. He's not going to fight against the Pharisees at this point. He is going to be a uh, reed that is bent, but he won't break until he accomplishes the task that his father has sent him to bring justice and victory and to, in his name, bring hope to the Gentiles. In his name, 
He would bring hope to the Gentiles. That's what Jesus is doing. He's not striking back at the Pharisees. and He's not starting a local movement. He's not interested in advertisements and growing some sort of fame in Judea. He's going to take over the nations. And he's the light of the nations. He's a covenant for the people, a light for the nations. Isaiah 42, 6. A covenant for the people. You want to see that covenant? Right there on that table. The Lord's Supper. This is the new covenant in my blood. He's going to be a covenant for the people, but it would be a sacrifice on his behalf. So Jesus is biding his time. That's why he went, he withdrew from them, and why he was actively engaged in healing and said, don't advertise it. I have my own plan. I will take over in due time. You wait. In the meantime, I will take care of you. You are my people. And then he would suffer at the hands of even the leaders of his own people. Brothers and sisters, you and I live in a world filled with people who hate us and they hate Jesus. I don't have to tell you that. You experience that all the time. We pray for the lost souls in the Willamette Valley all the time. And we long for the Lord to sweep through this area to bring the gospel to our lost neighbors and friends and family. Don't think that Jesus doesn't hear you. You be persistent in that prayer, because who knows what the Lord will do. You might be in a time in this place, like we're seeing in this text, where he is gathering his forces. He is waiting to unleash the power of his spirit upon our area. We don't know, but we do know with great confidence. He knows what he's doing. And he's using us for great good, despite who we are. He knows what he's doing. He's powerful to save. So you keep praying. You keep working. You keep talking to your neighbors. You keep loving them. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Showing the truth of the gospel to them with a word. And then you invite them to church where they will read the scripture and the Spirit of God will move in their hearts to bring them to Jesus. So you be confident. (laughs) You be confident the Lord knows what he's doing. He knew what he was doing then. He knows what he's doing now. Because you know where, where Matthew ends up, right? It's no big secret. You can read it. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore go make disciples of all the nations. That's where we're going. Let me read to you a text from Isaiah. The Lord has bared his holy arm before the eyes of all the nations, and all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many as were astonished at you, 
His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him. The Lord bear his holy arm in our place that we may see the light of the Gentiles shining in this dark place. May God grant that. May you be encouraged in the Lord today. Amen. Let us pray. We don't have all the answers, O Lord our God, but you do. So hear our prayers for our loved ones, our lost uh, neighbors who so desperately need you, who are caught up in drugs and demonic activities and all the counsels of the world and the flesh and the devil. Free them, O Lord, be gracious, that your name will be exalted in our area. Use us for good, for we are your servants, O Lord, bringing your word into this wicked world by your grace. Until you come again, O Lord Jesus, in great glory to bring in your judgment, as we sang in Psalm 5, the wicked will perish. But until then, O Lord, may your mercy triumph and your holy arm be bared for salvation to the Gentiles, light shining in this dark place. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.